I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm, I'm here because my mom is not well, and I just uh, someone else was already speaking at our church in Fayetteville, so I felt free to come and spend some time with my mom, which I'm doing, but I know that Mike is very busy, and I know he works pretty much full-time as well as pastoring, and he's a close enough friend. I felt free to just call him and and say, Mike, I'm going to be in town on Sunday. Would it be helpful to you if I would speak? And I, you've got to know me to know that I've been preaching for many years, and I've almost never said that to anybody except Mike. One time, one time to David Stark in St. Louis. I just, I don't like people inviting themselves to speak, and so I don't like doing that either. But I feel close enough to Mike that he would say no if he didn't want that. And I just love him enough that if it was going to be a help, I wanted to do it. And I love you, and I desire to see you grow in the Lord. And so I thought, well, I know sometimes just having a stranger come, even if he says the very same thing that you hear all the time, sometimes just hearing it from someone else reinforces or encourages. I like to think that I'm a teacher, but I'm not really going to teach so much this morning as I'm going to just share some things with you I think you already are very aware of. But sometimes it's good to be reminded of certain things. And what I really want to talk about this morning is God's faithfulness. We have a God who is extremely faithful. And yet sometimes we get so much aware of our own struggles, our own problems, our own trials, that we forget about the faithfulness of God. So I want to remind you this morning of the faithfulness of God. Let me just read a scripture to begin with. This is from, ja- uh, from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. I won't go into the background, but Jeremiah is believed to have written this. He was having a very difficult time. If you read the early part of Lamentations, which talks about weeping. And he says this, starting in verse 20. Surely, I'm sorry, verse 21. This I recall to my mind... Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah reminded himself of the faithfulness of God because he was hurting and he was struggling and the nation was going through terrible things at this point. God's judgment had come upon them related to their sin and disobedience. But I want to remind you that what Jeremiah said is absolutely true. God is faithful all the time. He is faithful. I read something about Winston Churchill and his personal struggles during a hard period in his life when he was prime minister in England. And his wife was hoping to console him So she suggested that his trouble was really a blessing in disguise. And Winston Churchill's response was, if so, it is very well disguised. And I think sometimes, even though we as Christians know that God says everything works together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, it's so disguised at the moment that we have a hard time believing it. And I want to say, we must believe it. It's true, absolutely true. Uh, If you uh, want a definition for God's faithfulness, here's a simple one. God's faithfulness means that everything he says and does is certain. In other words, he's 100% reliable 100% of the time. 
He does not fail, forget, falter, change, or disappoint. He says what he means and means what he says and therefore does everything he says he will do. Now, that's kind of a mouthful. And we sometimes wonder, well, how does that play out in life? So what I want to do this morning is just share with you from a practical point of view a few examples of how that plays out in the lives of believers. And I don't have these in a special order. I just kind of put them down, and here they are. God is faithful in regard to temptation that we face. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says whether you... Uh, sorry. First, I started to quote 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says... Um, space it out. There is no, thank you. There is no temptation taken you. But such is his common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will, with the temptation, also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. I don't care what temptation you're facing. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, God has given grace sufficient to resist. Now, I'm overweight, probably 40 to 50 pounds overweight. Used to be more overweight than this. I would like to drop about 40 or 50 pounds. But you know what? The reason I haven't dropped 40 or 50 pounds isn't because God isn't faithful. It isn't because, it isn't because I just don't have enough grace to do it. It's really, and I hate to say this, it's to my shame, it's because I, I like eating more than I like losing weight. The point is I am confident that there is sufficient grace from God for me to lose the weight which would be good for my health, I would look better as well, and I think would be more Christ-honoring. So my point is, I, I'm not full of condemnation about this, but I am confident God's grace is there. How, how do I know that his grace is there even though I haven't lost the weight? Well, because there have been times when I knew he was calling me to fast. I was able to fast a week without any problem. I mean, literally, not eating anything, not drinking any juices. I would drink water. But I knew God was calling me to the fast, and I wanted to be obedient to that. And I fasted, and it wasn't any big deal. Now, I like eating, so I was glad when the week was over, and I felt free to, to go on. But here's the point I'm making is, when we give in to sin, it's because we choose to. It's not because God's grace isn't there. His grace is there if we want to walk free of anything. The issue is, do I really want to walk free? And, I've, and I say, to my own shame, I've loved eating more than I've loved to please God in this realm. And that's, that's the issue, because he is faithful. We will never be tempted above his grace to resist it. How else is God faithful? Well, he's faithful in regard to money matters. I, without exaggeration, I could stand here and for the next hour tell you story after story just about my life and God's faithfulness in money matters. And I've forgotten most of it. I mean, I could go on for an hour without difficulty, and that's forgetting most of what he's done. But I'm just saying he's been faithful over and over and over. I'll share one example. Years ago, we were living in Denver, I could not get a job that paid much at all, and my wife was working as a nanny to help support, and even then we weren't making enough between the two of us to 
really provide, but God was providing anyway. And Laura comes to me one day and she said, I really think the Lord wants me to quit my nanny job and just stay at home. <laughs> she said, would that be okay? And I'm saying, well, you know, we're not really making it as, as it is, and you don't make a lot as a nanny, but we need that. She said, well, would you at least pray about it? Okay, I'll pray about it. <laughs> so I'm praying, and she doesn't say anything else, and probably a month or two go by. She brings it up to me again. You know, I really feel like I ought to quit this job as a nanny. Do you think it would be okay if I quit? And, I mean, I'm struggling with this because uh, we're just we're barely making it financially. And finally, as, I mean, I trust her. She loves the Lord. She's not lazy. She wasn't just trying to get out of something. So I said, okay, if you really believe this is the Lord's will, I'll trust you on it. Go ahead and quit. And I mean, there was some anxiety in my heart, but I, I've just seen God's faithfulness over and over and over again. And I had to believe, if he's in this, he'll take care of us like he always does. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So she quit the job. The very next day in the mail was a check for $10,000. <laughs> totally out of the blue, totally unexpected, and my wife felt like God confirmed <laughs> that, that she was right, that she needed to quit this. Okay, uh, Now, please understand, I could tell you story after story like that in my life uh, about God's faithfulness and finances, wonderful things like that. I mean, just wonderful things, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that for now. But I'm saying he is faithful related to finances. Uh, let, let me share another story. This is not related to my life personally, but in the financial realm. I pastor this little church. It's not very big. And a number of the people in it are college students. And believe me, they have no money at all. And the others who are in the church, with the exception of one guy, don't have much money at all. One guy in my mind, he makes quite a bit of money. He doesn't make much money compared to the big high rollers, but in my mind, it seems like he makes quite a bit. But he's a very generous giver, and he gives to lots of different things. And uh, so our church is just kind of limping along financially lots of times. And we'd had some money saved because we were in a facility kind of like you are where you don't pay much at all, but then we got booted out of that facility. And uh, so we had to start paying more. And we ended up in this facility where we're paying quite a bit of money. And I felt real uncomfortable about spending so much money on a facility. But it, we looked and looked for places. And this is what it seemed like God wanted for us to have. And so reluctantly, with the other leaders feeling like this was what God wanted, I said, OK. Knowing that really money is not that issue. It's not an issue for God. What's an issue to God is that we do his will. And it did seem like it was his will that we take this place. Well, anyway, we had some money saved up. And moving into this place, the money just got lower and lower. And, and pretty soon we're at a place where we're, we're not bringing in nearly enough month by month. And we got down to uh, the place where we were falling any place from 1000 to $3,000 short every month with of being able to pay just for this facility and to pay me a salary. I'm full-time with the church. And uh, 
Of course, I'm getting rich and I have a mansion, and so they could probably cut down a little bit. But the point is, there wasn't a lot of places to cut down. We signed a five-year lease on this place, and we felt like we had a, an obligation as Christians to do everything we could to be faithful to, to fulfill that. And we're only two and a half years into it. Well, anyway, here's the deal. We got down to, we announced in June to the whole church, look, we want to be faithful related to this lease, but we also have to say, we're not making it financially, and something's got to give, and, uh, you know, please be praying. Do we need to get out of this and pray that God will be gracious and supply someone else to come in and take over our lease so we can be completely out? We don't want to dishonor uh, our contract, and yet we're not making money. So we announced that to them, but we never even pass an offering plate. I can't remember if you guys do or not, but we just have an offering box over there, and we don't call attention to it too much, though occasionally I'll teach on giving because it's an important thing. People need to give. But we, we made this announcement and said, be prayerful, okay? So that was in June. End of July, we had about maybe two or three hundred dollars left. I don't know exactly, but just a real little bit of money. And we, again, for July, I think we'd fallen about $2,000 short. So that meant come the end of August, unless something radical happened, something was going to really give. And we didn't say any more about it. We were just praying and so forth. Well, the end of August, I don't know how this happened, but without saying any more, we had a, it cost us about $9,500 a month just to meet budget. And we were given $13,500 for August, plus a one-time gift from somebody for $22,500. Some, a brother in our church, along with several other brothers, had purchased land some years ago, thinking someday this land will be worth quite a bit more than it is now. It's a good investment, and the brother had money to invest in it, so he invested in this land. He thought it'll be maybe another 10 or 15 years before this land will be worth selling. Unbeknownst to him, the other brothers who had, were in on this deal found a guy that wanted to buy it right now for a pretty good price, and they came to my friend who's in the church and said, we found this buyer. Would you be open to us selling it now for such and such a price? And he said, yeah. They sold it, and as a result of that, he had $22,500 he didn't know what to do with. And he just felt like, I think I'm supposed to give it to the church. Now, he wasn't expecting that. This came up out of the blue without his planning or plotting. Our church had no awareness that it was going to happen. So I'm saying we got a far bigger offering that month than we'd ever gotten, plus $22,500. Now, frankly, that's not going to keep us going too long. I'm saying we're still dependent on God because we're going to be right back in the same old place pretty quickly if overall giving doesn't change. And probably for that to happen, we need to get some more people who come to the church who have a heart to give. But all I'm trying to say is God is faithful. He's faithful in finances. Hudson Taylor, most of you are probably familiar with his name at least. He was a well-known missionary in China. And he had complete trust in God's faithfulness. He, he wrote this in his journal one day. He said, Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. 
And that's the truth. Our job is to seek first the kingdom. His job is to meet our needs. God is faithful in keeping all of his promises. Joshua 21:45 says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone is fulfilled. And you'll see God in the Old Testament making promises. He'll speak to the prophets. He'll make certain declarations and certain promises. And you'll see time after time he fulfills them. In some cases, it's centuries later. You look at the promise in Isaiah about the fact that God was going to send a Messiah who would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes we, were, we would be healed. That was written in um, Isaiah 53, about 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. And here comes Jesus 700 years later, and he fulfills that promise. So over and over in Scripture, God makes promises, and over and over in Scripture, God fulfills them. So I want to encourage you to look at the many promises of God and know that they are true. Be assured God will fulfill his word. He is faithful. God's faithful in regarding to keeping us in his love. If you read Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He enumerates not height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. My wife, some of you know, has gone through much suffering. I mean, she was physically, basically bedridden for 14 years. But she had many physical problems way before the time of being bedridden. She had psychological problems that were far greater than her physical problems. I mean, severe depression, high anxiety, and she had spiritual problems besides demonic manifestations and torment and various things. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God was faithful to her, and she knew it. She knew God was good. She knew God was with her. She knew God's promise never to leave her forsake her, and he never did. By the grace of God, He's raising her back now. Praise the Lord. She's in North Carolina right now as I speak because she felt good enough after all these years she could travel to North Carolina to see her sister who's wanted her to come for a visit. So she went on her own. She flew. She didn't walk. But she was. She had to transfer planes and she had to walk quite a ways to get from one place to another. Now keep in mind, she could barely walk for years. She was so worn out and so fatigued. But she went on her own. She's enjoying her time there. God's faithful. He was faithful to her when she was very sick and hurting. Now that she is being raised up, he's faithful to her still. He is that kind of a God. He loves us, period. God's faithful in regard to all the afflictions that we go through. Psalm 119, verse 75, the psalmist says, I know, O Lord, that your rules, that is your judgments, are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Now, we don't usually think about affliction being God's faithfulness to us. But the psalmist understood that. He understood that God, in his faithfulness, had afflicted him. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, God was using affliction in the psalmist's life to draw him into a closer relationship with himself. Hebrews 5.8 speaks of Jesus, says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. God allows suffering. 
He allows trials. He allows hardships. He allows tests. All for the purpose of being faithful to us and drawing us closer to himself. Psalm 25.10 says, All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Please understand that. You, you can't look at your life and necessarily see how such and such a thing is God's love and kindness to you. But believe me, it is. It's his faithfulness. Even Job, who went through horrible trials, came to understand that God had a purpose in it. Job had sort of gotten to a place where he was questioning God about numbers of things, and he finally had to say, I repent, I retract my accusations. Lord, I say, you're God, you're good, you had a reason. And I'll, though I don't understand all the reasons, basically Job is saying, I see now you are God and you are good, and I have nothing to complain about. God is faithful in regard to giving us the desires of our heart as we delight in him. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And the best I understand that scripture, it means, as I make God my delight, as I set my heart on him, set my hope on him, look to him for my joy and purpose, he will bring into my life what he wants me to have and will satisfy me with that. Years ago, God made an issue in my heart about the fact that I needed to go to Cyprus as a missionary. Now, you have to understand that I'm a person, I don't even like to leave the city, let alone leave the state or leave the country. Going to live in a foreign land had zero appeal to me. Zero. But I felt like God was asking me to do this, and I was seeking to honor him. And I'll tell you, from the day I landed in Cyprus to the day I left when I got kicked out of the country two years later, Two of the best years of my life. I was in God's will with a heart that was wanting to please him, and I found Cyprus to be a joy. It wasn't a drudgery that I just somehow had to get through another day. It was satisfying. It was fulfilling. God is faithful in regard to guiding us. Let me just tell you about our church a little bit in relation to Yemen. We started as a church five years ago, and unbeknownst to me, several people in our church who had a heart for mission started praying for me and the other leader, a guy named Matt Waller. They were praying that God would give us more of a heart for missions. We didn't know that, but probably a couple of months into their prayers, God really began to stir Matt, and he began to get more of a heart for missions, and somehow in a conversation this came out with one of the guys that had been praying for the leaders, and so the guy shared at that point, well, you know, we've been praying for you guys that you really would get a heart for missions, and that stirred some stuff. And so then they started praying that God would show us where in particular that we as a church should be involved in missions. And the Lord gave a dream to one of the brothers, just a young guy in his early 20s at that point, and a dream about Yemen. I didn't even know where Yemen was. Barely know where it is today, but it's right by Saudi Arabia, it's on the uh, Arabian Peninsula, and uh, over a period of a number of months, God confirmed very, very clearly that Yemen was a place that we were specifically to be involved. One of the girls in the church was worshiping the Lord in our corporate worship service, and God gave her 
two visions as she stood there worshiping. She never had a vision in her life before. She certainly was not thinking about Yemen, even though we had talked some about Yemen and said we need to be praying for Yemen. And God gave her two visions of Yemen as she was in the worship service that day. And God just radically changed her heart through that. She has such a heart for Yemen now and prays daily for Yemen and is passionate for Yemen. And she shared that with me. And then sometime later, I felt like she should share it with the church. And God just began to put proofs and confirmations into the lives of people that Yemen was, in fact, the place we were to be involved. And uh, one one of our brothers, Matt, the other leader of the church at that time, was just spending some time with the Lord one day, and he started having doubts. You know, he'd thought, yeah, Yemen's it, but then he began to wonder, is this really it? How could we ever make a difference in Yemen anyway? And he was praying about that, and his little son, who was about two at the time, came into the room, had a couple of National Geographics in his hands, spilled the National Geographics down right in front of Matt. The thing opened up, and it was a big spread on Yemen, right as Matt was praying. These were old magazines that had been around for some time, and his son had just somehow picked them up and dropped it right there in front of him as he's praying about this, and God just very clearly said, Yemen's the place. Now then, we became convinced that Yemen was the place. God was guiding us in this. But how do we, a tiny little church that is struggling in so many ways and limping along, how do we begin to impact the nation of Yemen? Yemen's got about 20 million people. They're all Muslims. There is no known church in the whole land with Yemeni people in it, including underground churches. I mean, you can read stuff in the Voice of the Martyrs and various uh, magazines that deal with the underground church, and they can tell you about underground churches in this place and that. But in Yemen, no awareness of any group of believers meeting together who are Yemeni. There are some Ethiopian refugees who've come in and they're allowed to meet openly and worship. But there's no Yemeni that's allowed to come to a worship service. So we're thinking, how can we possibly make a difference and what are we supposed to do, Lord? And we start crying out to God about this. And guess what? God begins to stir a couple of young men in our church. These guys are now 23, both of them. They're both just a little bit more than a year out of college, and they've both been living there full-time for the last year. And they intend to be there the rest of their lives, unless God clearly has something else for them. And we, as a little church, are carrying the full responsibility for their financial support. In fact, we've told them we do not want you going to anyone else and asking for any money. This is our responsibility. Local churches are supposed to send missionaries. Local churches are supposed to meet the needs. God's raised up people in our, heart, in our uh, church that have a passion for Yemen. We have three young girls, young like early 20s, who are planning on going to Yemen. Our church is sending them in um, January on a short-term mission trip. But two of them feel called of God to go live there full-time. And so we're just sort of doing some groundwork, okay, well, at least go see what it's like, see how oppressed the women are in that situation, and see if you really still feel like this is what God has. We've got others in our church who are very open to going there and living on a full-time basis, if that's what God would, would want. 
God has put us in contact with a few other churches around the country that have a heart for Yemen. And we went to a little conference in Louisiana a number of months ago just to meet with others who have a passion for Yemen. God, as far as we know, there's only one Yemeni person who lives any place in northwest Arkansas, which is where we live. And guess where that person lives now? Across the street from one of the leaders of our church. Three years ago, this woman was married to a Yemeni man and there was domestic violence, and a policeman was called in. We live in Fayetteville, but the policeman is a guy who's a part of our church, but he's a policeman in Springdale, which is the adjoining thing. It was this woman from Yemen, and that was our first contact with her. And so he ministered to her and assisted her. Sometime later, as our two young men were getting ready to go to Yemen, someone said to one of our young men's mothers, you know, I heard your son's going to Yemen. I know some from someone from Yemen. Could could you come over to my house and meet, have your son come and his friend who's going to Yemen and meet this person. Her name's Arwan. So they met her a year ago, a little more than a year ago, and now Habitat for Humanity, which is pretty much a Christian thing, build a house, and this woman, Arwan, from Yemen, has moved into this house, which is across the street from one of the leaders of our church. And it's given our leader and his wife much more of a burden for Yemen as a result. She, this woman has two sons, and they pl- she, this Yemeni woman won't allow her children to play with anybody in the neighborhood except our leader's children. And they can play together all the time, but she doesn't trust the other kids in the neighborhood. And I'm just saying, God has orchestrated. In fact, Lord willing, I'm leaving for Yemen uh, early November for a couple of weeks. Again, I have no desire to go over there. But I believe God wants me to go just to encourage these young men and to uh, get more of a feel for what God's doing there so I can know better how we as a church can make a difference. All I'm trying to say is God's faithfulness. How does a little church make a difference? I don't yet know how we're really going to make a difference, but I just see God orchestrating step by step by step. Our job is to seek God. Our job is to take little baby steps of faith as God seems to be opening a way and directing, and it's up to God to put it all together. But he seems to be putting it together. It seems to be by the grace of God that we're involved in Yemen. God leads in wonderful ways. Also, God is faithful regarding our labor being not in vain. You're probably familiar with 1 Corinthians 15:58. It says that be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your work in the Lord, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Sometimes uh, my friend Matt, whom I love dearly and respect very much and who gives himself continually to serving, feels like much of his labor is in vain. And I try to say, Matt, it's not. I see ways that God is using your labor, but there are lots of ways that you and I may never see, but we can be assured God's promises, if you're doing his will, if you're seeking to follow him, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Well, years ago when we lived here in Topeka, our church got involved with an organization called um, Open Doors with Brother Andrew. Some of you may have read the book, God's Smuggler. 
That's Brother Andrew. Okay, we got involved with this group. They, they ministered to the suffering church throughout the world. And we had different people from Open Doors come to our church and speak and come and stay in our home. And we had a real burden for them. And Laura was a part of a little prayer group. I don't know if Kathy would have been a part of that or not. But she was part of a little prayer group of women from our church who every week got together to pray for the suffering church. And Open Doors would send out a tape once a month with information about specific things that they wanted people praying about. So one of these things was called uh, Operation Pearl. And they didn't tell you at the time what it was. They just said, pray for this. This is a very important project. It's very secretive. We can't tell you about it. No, but pray for Operation Pearl. So for some time, Laura and these other women were praying for Operation Pearl. Found out quite a long time afterwards that Operation Pearl was a plan to take one million Bibles into communist China. This was early 1980s because the believers in China didn't have many Bibles. And so they were going to take all these Bibles in in one night. Can you imagine getting one million Bibles into a closed country like China in a night and getting them distributed? So it took lots of prayer and lots of planning. And we heard they did it. Well, then, just recently, has anyone in here ever heard of a book called The Heavenly Man? It's a book you might want to get. It's about a brother named Brother Yoon in China. He's been a leader in the underground church in China for the last 30 years or so. And God, if, in case you don't know, God has done amazing things in China. They, China went from being about... 10 million known Christians around 1970 to a conservative estimate of 50 million to a more liberal estimate of 120 million believers now. And it's lots of suffering, lots of torture, lots of imprisonment, and lots of miraculous things in China. And this book is about that. Well, as Laura's reading along in this book and being very encouraged about it, she comes to page 58. And on page 58, Brother Yoon's wife is giving some testimony. And she said, back in the early 80s, she said, we had hundreds of believers in our church and only one New Testament among us. And then Operation Pearl took place and a million Bibles were brought in in one night. And we began to get some of those Bibles filtered into us. And so here's Laura reading this. She had prayed about this many times over a period of time without basically having any encouragement. Years later, she's reading a book that gives a little bit more detail, and this woman is praising God for Operation Pearl. I'm saying, my wife's prayers, her labor was not in vain. And by the grace of God, she found out more about it 20 years later. I'm saying... It'll only be an eternity that we'll know what our labor for the Lord has produced. But God has promised us. He has assured us that our labor for him is not in vain. God's faithful to his word. He's faithful to bring about his purposes in our life. And I'm fully convinced from the scripture that no one can snatch your life physically they can't take it away until it's God's time. We see that with the Lord Jesus. For example, you go to uh, John chapter 7, verse 30, and I think I have that verse written here. Um, and I'm not seeing it. Basically, men were trying to lay hands on him to take him, but it says they couldn't touch him because it was not yet his time. In other words, God had a time when Jesus was going to go to the cross and die, 
but no one could touch him and take his life until that time. I have a personal friend, his name is Keith Wheeler. He goes all over the world carrying a cross. He just he goes into countries, he almost never even asks for permission. He'll go into communist countries, he'll go into Muslim countries, and he'll just carry this cross across the land, and then as people stop him and ask him, he'll share something about the love of Jesus with them. He has been through all kinds of trials. He's been beaten up. He had 120 stitches in his head one time from the beating he took for the Lord, and that was in the United States. He, he has been thrown in jail numerous times. One time, he was literally standing before a firing squad, guns trained on him, and they counted one, two, and at the sound of two, everybody dropped their guns and ran off, ran away, and said, the light, the light is too bright, I can't stand this. And God just miraculously preserved him. He might die tomorrow. There's no telling when his life will be ended. But the point is, his life is safe in the Lord's hands until God is through with him. God is faithful. We can count on God. Please take to heart what I'm about to say. And this isn't original with me. I just copied it down because I thought it was true. We may grow weary, but our God cannot. We may give up, but our God cannot. We may fluctuate, but our God cannot. We may vacillate, but our God cannot. We may disappoint ourselves, but our God cannot disappoint anyone. We may fail a thousand times, but our God cannot fail, not even once. So in light of God's faithfulness to us in so many ways, what's his word to us? Well, I think it's what he said to his disciples in John 20, verse 27. He said, be not faithless, but believing. You know, there's so many ways where the enemy comes and seeks to discourage us, seeks to shake our confidence in God. Fear, probably more than anything else in my life, is what comes against me. Not fear for my physical well-being. I've had that a few times, but fear of what people will think, fear of how this is going to turn out, and is the church going to even exist a week from now or a month from now? I mean, there are things that come against it, and the church I pastor, and I get shaky and fearful about that. But God doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to trust in Him. He wants our confidence always to be in Him. If God wants our church to be around 10 years from now, it will be. If he wants it to be around much longer, it will be. If he's through with it next month, then that's God's call. But he doesn't want me to live in fear about these things. Faith and fear have a hard time coexisting. God's calling us to put our faith in him, for he is a faithful God. C.S. Lewis once said, He who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. Please understand that. If you've got God, if you're truly in God's keeping and you're trusting him, then you have and will have all that you ever need. God is faithful. Here's a poem. I'll close with this. Yea, new every morning... Though we may awake, our hearts with old sorrow beginning to ache. With old work unfinished, when night stayed our hand, with new duties waiting, unknown and unplanned, 
with old cares still pressing to fret and to vex, with new problems rising our minds to perplex. In ways long familiar, in paths yet untrod, oh, new every morning, the mercies of God. His faithfulness fails not. It meets each new day. New guidance for every new step of the way. New grace for new trials. New trust for old fears. New patience for bearing the wrongs of the years. New strength for new burdens. New courage for old. New faith for whatever the day may unfold. As fresh for each need as the dew on the sod. Oh, new every morning. The mercies of God. I could stand before you and tell you about the mercies of God in my life, in my wife's life, in my children's life for the rest of the day. He is good, and he's equally as good to you and to all who call on his name.